So as we kick off a new teaching series, uh, I got to just share some of the exciting stuff that's happening. You know, um, the biggest thing is if we could all just celebrate, yesterday was a very good day. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish won 52 to nothing <laughs> over the South Florida. Do we have any fi- Irish fans in here? Thank you. Thank you. Four people at the last service. There, no one. Dead silence. Uh, I've been doing a little sociological research. Uh, do we have any uh, IU football fans? Are those out there? It's a soft clap. It was a soft, soft clap. Any uh, Go Blue, any Michigan fans out there? Oh, there's a few. I, th- I thought it might be a little stronger. Any, any Ohio State Buckeye fans? Praise the Lord. Uh, any uh, Purdue football fans out there? I don't know what it is. At all services, that's been the number one. I thought we love the Lord here, and I'm learning new things about our church. It was a joke. Chill out. So I w- want to encourage you, you know, uh, we're not just talking about football this morning, but what I want to share with you, you know, I was watching Notre Dame this week, and it was like a totally different team. Last week, uh, we played the Duke Blue Devils, which obviously not the Lord's team, and, you know, in, uh, in basketball, well-known, but uh, in football, not so good, and we- Notre Dame struggled with them the week before. It was like they were asleep just going through the motions. This week, man, it was like a new team fully awake, just like out there, 52 to nothing. They, they didn't want to run up the score because they're nice followers of Jesus. But, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking about how many of us as Christians in our culture today, can I tell you and warn you ahead of time? Uh, I'm going to preach a little bit this morning. And I'm going to preach a little bit to myself some things I've been noticing about myself and about Christians the last eight weeks since we're in a global pandemic and all the crazy stuff this world has been upended with. That, that for many of us as Christians, we've kind of just, because of the chaos, we've just looked, how can we just, you know, avoid all the pain and all the suffering, stick our heads in the sand a little bit, and just not deal with it? I don't think I'm alone in this. I mean... With all the divisiveness, how many of you have been avoiding social media recently? Anybody? How, how many of you have been avoiding conversations with certain family members? Election year and all this stuff going around. And I find that, like, as Christians, it's been very easy to just kind of stick our heads in the sand a little bit and avoid the things that are going on and just kind of go through the motions as a Christian. Over this next six weeks, we're going to talk about how to become fully alive in Christ. We kind of kicked it off last week by studying Moses and the story of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 at the birthday bash. We saw 17 people give their life to Christ uh, at that service last weekend. Some of those are recommitments, but we saw uh, seven people get baptized. Only one of them was planned. Only two of them happened during the service, and then spontaneously five more people follow the Lord in baptism after the service. Yeah, and I I just want to celebrate some of those things because in a time like this, we mainly see darkness. We mainly hear the negative things impacting our world. I want to tell you that God is living and active and moving and that there has been no greater time in my lifetime, at least, for followers of Jesus to be needed in the world, to be the light in the darkness as we're going to look at to help people in need, excuse me, proclaim our faith devoutly. 
I want to tell you that God is moving. And we have this huge thing we have on a banner out there in the hallway that says we want to see the greater movement of, of Jesus Christ to reach a million disciples for Jesus in our lifetime. There's only like 6.8 million people in the whole state. But we've said that because we serve a great God. And the, the letter that we're going to look at that he's writing to the church in Colossae, the apostle Paul is, he's going to challenge them and actually di uh, directly address some heretical viewpoints in chapter 2 when we look at it. But it didn't originally have chapters. This was a letter that he was writing. And in the first chapter that we're going to look at, the first 23 verses, he's going to encourage them. He's going to tell them about the great Lord that we serve. And he's going to tell them to actually make an impact with their life. Let me give you a little background on the letter to the Colossian church. Uh, you know, actually, in, here's a map here. If you were like, dude, I'm not a map person, well, bear with me. Use your bifocals. Look close over there. It's real small. Ephesus on the left side there is a fairly major city on the Via Ignatia that was uh, fairly populated that Paul had gone and planted a church there. And they were worshiping this false goddess, Artemis, and he came in, and he was kind of run out of town almost, but they, a number of people come to the Lord. One of the people that came to the Lord was a guy named Epaphras. So Epaphras comes to know Jesus because of the work that God used Paul to do. Paul continues his missionary journeys. He will eventually end up in a prison cell in Rome for his faith, where he'll be on house arrest, and he will write letters to many of the churches that he had planted throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And, and one of the churches he planted, Ephesus, where Epaphras was reached, that, that man, Epaphras, went on to move to the east to go to where he was from, which was the Lycus River Valley, where you see that red dot, the cities of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And Epaphras plants churches in each of those towns. Here's the cool part. Paul didn't have to be there. The Spirit of God transformed Epaphras' life, and God used Epaphras, just like he can use you. Do you realize yesterday, when we had, or Sunday, when we had all that happen at our ninth birthday celebration, we almost had 400 people launch a church in northeast at uh, the Fortville, Indiana area. It's the biggest one we've ever launched. It's bigger than when we started this church. We're seeing a number of people return to church and come back to faith and Northwest and downtown be praying as they continue to do the mission of Jesus. And I got to preach at Northwest not too long ago and see all these people I'd never met before and a lot of young people really cool what the Lord is doing. The movement of Jesus is still alive today just like it was 2,000 years ago. What this series is about is for us as Christians to live out the same challenge that Paul gave to the church in Colossae to become fully alive in Christ, to be transformed, and to make an impact with our life. And I believe there's no greater time than now for us to do that very thing. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. It says this in verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul had been far from God, overseeing the killing of Christians. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. His life has radically changed. Over the many years, he's transformed, and he begins to tell people all over the Roman Empire about Jesus. And one of the guys he's discipling, his younger protege, is this guy named Timothy. And Paul, in chapter 4, will say he writes this in his own hand, but he's doing it along with Timothy, his brother in the faith. Verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Remember, this is a letter. It would be circulated there in the Christian church in that town. And it was often begun with greetings like this. And even though he's bringing a hard message, he's going to say, I always thank God for you. Verse 4, because you have heard, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. He says, I know we haven't met, but I've heard about you. I've heard about how God's love emanates from you. One of my hopes for each of these churches that are led, we don't need anybody on a video. Nothing wrong with those things and utilizing technology. We love to do that. But we have living, breathing human beings that the true multiplication of the kingdom for us is when we believe God can use someone else as much as he could use us. That other Epaphrases are being sent out to transform other communities. And I just wonder if the love of Christ emanates in those places and, and at Carmel, as we've sent out all these hundreds of people and then COVID and all this stuff, what's going to happen when God begins to reclaim and, and build the, the church here in Carmel back up? Are we just going to get ha- fat and happy spiritually or are we going to be producers that send people out to transform the world all over again? I hope for the latter. Because what we see here in this letter to the church in Colossae is Paul saying that you guys really are showing the love of Christ to people. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, that you're going to share eternally in salvation in heaven one day. We had a loved one, Jan, that uh, Eric mentioned. She, she was here when, uh, at the first grand opening at the middle school in Carmel, at Clay Middle School. I met her that morning, and she's just been a faithful, stalwart woman of God in a church ever since. She volunteered in the office. She was here at all the services. She would be praying for people all the time. She would talk to many people out in the lobby. You'd always see her sitting out there meeting new people. To know that when she passed, while the physical resurrection doesn't occur until Jesus returns, her her spirit, her soul went to be with the Lord, that she is with him now face to face, as Eric described. It's the hope that we have, the message of the good news of Jesus that Paul is referring to here. And it says in verse 6 that that has come to you. You see, the message isn't just that Jan is with Jesus today and that when you die, you'll go to heaven. That's part of it. It's also that God is with you. You were given his Holy Spirit and you are never alone again. And Jan understood that. The presence of the Lord was with her wherever she was. The true message that has come to us is that life begins in Christ. And for us as followers of Jesus, it's time to live again and to not allow the dictations and the actions of the world we live in to negatively impact and affect the work of the kingdom that's happening in our lifetime. And I'm going to share some of the really cool positive things that are happening during this message. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause And I thank you for every person that is here right now. I thank you for the kingdom work that is happening. I thank you that they came out to hear and study your word and to worship you. And God, may you honor that. May you speak directly to their souls. May you take my words away, replace it with what you desire through scripture. Change us, Lord. Make us more like you. Send us out. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to do something uh, at this service. Uh, Get your phone out. And turn the volume off, and I'm going to invite you to share this live online, including those online. 
See, you never know the impact you could have in someone else's life. But living your faith out means I'm going to begin to change. I'm not just going to sit and do the, the status quo and be motionless in my faith. I'm going to be unashamed to begin to live it out. A simple way you can do that every single weekend is just sharing that either from Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or mercyroad.tv. But as you're doing that, uh, has anybody been to a kid's soccer game recently? Those joyous experiences? Uh, I went to two soccer games just yesterday. My uh, youngest son, his name is Jet. Uh, He's five years old, but because of how his birthday falls, he's still in preschool. And so uh, we signed him up for soccer, and he didn't, the last time he played soccer, he basically just rolled around on the ground the whole time. He didn't even understand. So we thought, well, we'll put him back in. He's, He's still in preschool, so we put him in preschool soccer. What I didn't know was because he's a little bit older than other people, my son, who's probably going to be fairly short, looks like a giant. And my wife decided to give him a mohawk, so, which, is, which I thought was cool. And so we have this giant son out there with the mohawk dominating the preschool soccer games right now. I can't wear my Jesus shirts when I show up, and i got to hide who I am. But, you know, uh, the best part of preschool soccer, though, anybody know what the best part is? Somebody said it, the snacks. The snacks are the best part. Which, can I just say, I don't mean to get on tangents, but like, like today, I don't know what I gave. It was some type of natural apple juice. It was so, when I was a kid, we got those jugs with corn syrup inside. That was delicious. Why did we get rid of those? These wimpy suburban moms. I don't know what happened, but. You know, yesterday he did come home with a little bit of fun. He got a chewy chocolate uh, dipped granola bar. And he got uh, some assorted fruit snacks, which is corn syrup, so why can't I give it in a drink? But anyway, he came home, and I just thought, you know, he's a kid. He's going to hound this. He's going to pound that food in as fast as he can. No, he took, he took the bar out. He flipped it upside down. Let's see if we can get a close-up for those online here. He flipped it upside down. He took all of the fruit snacks, and he st- uh, stacked them neatly on top of the granola bar. And then he held it up like this with this big smile on his face, and he said to his mom and I, he goes, this is how you do it. (laughs) And I was just like, that's how to live right there. (laughs) Just just got something figured out. And I began to think about that with the year that we faced and the fun that a toddler can find in a granola bar and fruit snacks. And when we became so uncreative, wimpy adults... Spiritually speaking, where it's just like we just kind of go through the motion because I'm a Christian and I just, I just, I go to church, well, you know, 1.4 times a month and I, I try and watch online and occasionally I'll flip open a Bible. Look, I, there's no guilt and shame this morning, okay? Please hear me on that. I, I'm, like I said, I'm preaching as much to myself, but, but like when did it become like that rather than going, God has given us the greatest opportunity in our lifetime for the good news of Jesus Christ to be demonstrated to a world that needs it to flip the script on everything, to go, this is how you do life. (laughs) Which, if I'm being honest, is actually what Paul eventually will get at in chapter 3 and beyond of how Jesus showed us how to truly be human. This is how you do life. As Christians, we have a unique opportunity to demonstrate this. And I believe rather than going through the motions... Rather than being spiritually dead and apathetic, sticking our heads in the sand, now is the time for us to live again, to demonstrate what life should be lived like when you know God. 
It's really simple. I'm going to move through three points with you through uh, the rest of the first 23 verses of Colossians. And I want to challenge us as Christians that it's time to do three things. Number one, it's time to bear fruit. It's time to bear fruit. Like, what am I like? Have an apple orchard now? Why? <laughs> I don't understand these farming analogies. The, the word bear, it means to support or to hold up. That we are to support or to hold up the work of the Lord to bear spiritual fruit by helping those in need and proclaiming our faith. Look what he says here to the church in Colossae in verse 6. Because they are now Christian. They have salvation, but he's teaching them how to live. In the same way, the gospel, or good news, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And he's like, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, I love this part, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit, again, bearing fruit, in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He says, because we have salvation, because we know Jesus, we then get to produce and bear fruit to the world around us. That living as a Christian means that people begin to take notice of the difference and the impact positively we are making in the world and that we will see new Christians, new followers of Jesus made because they've experienced the Holy Spirit and the work God has done in them. It says that they continue to pray because it's the Spirit that brings wisdom and understanding during that particular time period. And I love this vision of the local church where even though Paul has never met these people, he's praying for God's advancement in their lives. You may be new here. I want you to know we are praying for you as a church. When you write prayer requests on those cards, the staff prays over them every week. And, and even if you've never filled out a card, we are praying for people in our community. And that when you see the, what the, how the gospel spreads and Epaphras takes it to this valley and the people in the, the church grow there and then the word gets back to Paul and then Paul's praying for them and the spirit is given to them. Do you realize that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he atones or covers up for our wrongdoing that any of us could be forgiven no matter the mistakes we've made in our life if we repent and receive his grace and forgiveness and that he overcame the grave itself, overcoming death, that we will live eternally in heaven one day and that we will experience life with God now and that when Jesus gives his life on the cross and the gospel of Matthew, the temple curtain is torn in two and the spirit of God no longer resides in the building and the ark of the covenant, but it's now in the life of those who know Jesus as their believer and have received the spirit of God. So when he says he's praying for the spirit to be fully lived out and the wisdom of God shown in that city, he means it. It's tangible. It's experience. They can see it. It bears fruit. And he goes on and says that this is the way that we fight back during evil times, essentially. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He uses the analogy of light and darkness. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's talking about eternal separation from God in a, a literal place that they would call in the New Testament times Gehenna or hell where God wasn't at work, but the enemy, Satan, 
the devil was at work. But it's also that in this lifetime that many of us live under the dominion of darkness, you can see the evil around us. You'll see it in the next verse and the next point I'll make when he talks about the evil behavior that we have, that you can experience. And he says the way you fight back is with the kingdom of light. It says he has rescued us from the excuse me, dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. That as Christians, the way we live is that we bear fruit in order to fight back against the dominion of darkness that we have seen in 2020. So the question I want to ask you is, what fruit are you bearing in your life? Because we're all bearing fruit. We're all supporting or holding up the work of something. If you want to try and figure out what fruit you're bearing in your life, look at where you're spending your time, your, your talents and abilities, your treasures, finances, and resources, and social capital. Those are the places where you'll see fruit born in your life. Again, no condemnation. I'm just trying to be honest about this passage as he writes to the church in Colossae about, guys, if you're going to live as Christians, you should begin to see fruit bore in your life. We live in a time that desperately needs the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. Are we supporting the work of God or are we avoiding the work of God? Because could we get real? COVID and then uh, political tensions and civic uh, discussions and debates have given us all great reasons just to avoid what God's doing in the world. Put our heads down, check out, survive, because it's hard times we're living in. I get it. I've been there at, at moments the last eight months. And I have become incredibly convicted that if we're going to be followers of Jesus in the way that the New Testament church was, it's going to require us to assess where we're bearing fruit and to say, we want more of God at work in our lives. We want to be difference makers, the hands and feet of Jesus to transform the culture around us. Can I just tell you, you may not be aware of this, but many of you, many Christians are bearing a lot of fruit right now. Our outposts, our communities on mission, our micro churches have almost doubled in size in the last year. We're, we're seeing uh, a number of leaders from those outposts get together uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. for an intensive to grow and to multiply uh, leaders and microchurch leaders throughout our communities. Our discipleship huddles, Pastor Kathy's doing a great job preparing a, a workbook that eventually we're going to be having to walk through a year of disciple making within our church. And we've been doing discipleship huddles for about seven years, closed intentional discipling relationships. You don't always hear about because we, we want you to go through rooted first, but we believe that the disciple making and the mission of Jesus is still at work and living and active, and we're seeing fruit happen there. We're seeing new believers. 17 people gave their life to Christ, but we saw 26 people get baptized in their bathtubs in the middle of uh, quarantine. We've had more people baptized in the life of our church this year than any time in the history of our church. In the middle of COVID, we're breaking every norm for the number of people attending at all of our, our locations of what we should expect. And we're still reaching a lot of people online. And we see you guys online. And we have, uh, for the first time next month, we're actually going to offer digital first step class that if you're attending online from different parts of the country or world, you could actually go through the first step class online. God is on the move. People are bearing fruit, and you may not even get to see it, this influx of outposts, the disciple makings that happen, but you also may not realize many of you who have given generously during this time period have made huge impact. 
we have been able to give away tens of thousands of dollars to people in need during this time, uh, to food pantries all over the city. We've been able to help families who lost jobs due to COVID. We've been able to uh, help people with professional Christian counseling as they're addressing issues that they're facing because of the crisis around us and the things that they have been dealing with. We've been able to support, we haven't dropped a single missionary or mission impact work that we have done. We've continued to plant all of the churches plus supported with hundreds of thousands of dollars all of the missionaries we have uh, that are doing different mission works both locally, globally. Uh, in fact, one missionary in a 99.9% .9 Muslim country that we can't even name the church online, you all are helping them uh, make it through this time as well. The impact you're having will be things that we celebrate for all of eternity. So when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, you need to bear fruit. I think sometimes we don't acknowledge that that is happening. And we focus on the negative impact that's happening. The church of Jesus is at work today. And if you're not seeing it, get involved. Join with us. Because I believe now is the time as followers of Jesus, we must bear fruit like never before We've got a great Rooted session going on right now. For those of you going through Rooted, I can't wait to see the next step that you take. But can I just tell you one thing? And praise God, in the nine years of our church, I have very rarely ever seen this. And I don't know if it's because we're a church plant, uh, but I've been in ministry for over two decades. And one of the most dangerous things I see in this area of bearing fruit is rather than being a producer that bears fruit in our life, Christians, especially in American culture, can become consumers. We look to consume from the latest celebrity pastor or person or thing that can speak to us on this particular thing or like this later, whatever that is, and we just move from thing to consume, consume, consume. And, and we say things like, and I literally, I'm not saying anybody here has said this. I'm saying this is what happens in unhealthy Christian circles, I believe, is we say statements like, I'm just not being fed. I just need to go somewhere and get fed. Show me in the Bible where it ever says that you're supposed to get fed. You're supposed to be the one pr producing fruit. I'm supposed to be the one producing fruit. We're not to live on baby spiritual milk forever. Sometimes we have to get to the place where we grow up in our faith and begin to act like Jesus and following him in, our, in the way that we live. And we can feed ourselves every day. We pick up the Bible. We study God's word. We spend time in prayer. We get in community with other believers and we take next steps of faith. Nobody has to force you to do those things. That's on us as followers of Jesus to say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a producer for Christ today. Use me an agent of change in a world that needs it. I wasn't somebody that always understood that. I didn't understand. To be honest, I was probably more like a toddler after a soccer game, stuffing my faith with snacks every day, feeding my face, rather than looking at spiritually how I could impact other people's lives. And I remember there was a Christian who was a few years older than me that said, you know, this is one of the few things in this world that is life and death every time we do it. And spiritually speaking, the good news of Jesus can be life and death for someone. To bear fruit for his kingdom, become fully alive as part of following God. And, and I believe he's at our fingertips. We're meant to produce fruit and bear fruit, not just eat it and consume it. I warned you I was going to preach. And I've been convicted about this in my life, just going through the motions. But the second thing I want to tell you is that we don't just bear fruit. We must also 
exalt Jesus. Where he goes next in the next five verses are one of the most famous passages here in the letter to the Colossian church. He's going to take a conglomeration of passages from Genesis and Psalms and poetically intertwine them to a messianic statement here that talks about the lordship of Jesus, God incarnate. That his sacrifice and crucifixion was not just any sacrifice. It was God himself giving his life for us. And he has control over everything. And because of that, we should worship him and exalt him. The word exalt means to hold someone or something in very high regard. Think or speak very highly of them. To worship him. Look what it says here in these verses. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He was there in the beginning. The eternally begotten son is what the early church uh, uh, father Origen would say. There was not a time he was not. And so his sacrifice was meaningful. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul tells the church in Corinth, the dominion of darkness shall not stand, but not because you're going to become a better person. That's right. Not because you try harder. It's going to be because of the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Yes. That because of his work on the cross and resurrection from the grave, it has power and authority to transform your life and the lives around you. That if you're the same Christian that you were two decades ago today, you're probably not growing in your faith, producing the way that Jesus desires us to because he comes with power to change. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and self-discipline. So when I was a 19-year-old young adult and I had become a Christian, I thought I was perfected. I went from throwing the fraternity parties to leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. And then over the course of the next year or two, I realized I wasn't perfect. And I was still struggling with the, some of the same issues that I had struggled with before. I was a young man struggling with lust and, and temptation to alcohol and other things and just, you know, wanting to be angry or arrogant about particular things or God. And I'm not perfect today by any means for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, nobody's perfect this side of heaven. But I want to tell you, we can see improvement. That's what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about. Bear fruit. We have the almighty God on our side. He was there in the beginning of the creation. He has the authority to overcome. So I started doing something different. When I would fail in my life as a young man, I used to always go, oh, I'm sorry, God. I'm such a bad person. Forgive me. And I would have this self-pity moment. And then I'm like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I promise this time I'm going to do better. And then I would go and do it all over again. And so I started doing something different. I would stop and I would pray. And it would say, God, forgive me for my mistakes. I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. I repent of it. But you know what, God? I can't break this on my own. I need you. So I pray I would get closer to you, that these desires would be taken from me because I love you more than this. And it didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. But over the course of time, 
the desires of these sinful actions in my life began to be waned and would, I, I didn't want and desire those things nearly as much anymore because I wanted, did not want to break this relationship I now had with Christ. And I was still not perfect. I got my struggles today, but I want to tell you those struggles I had then are not the same struggles I have today. And it's because of the work of Jesus, his power and his authority to overcome the dominion of darkness in our world. That's true not just in the grand scale for the church, but true for us as individuals. If we're failing, turn to him, exalt him as Lord, and say, God, I need you. And as we exalt him, he transforms our heart and our desire. In this election season, we don't just need the right candidate or political party. We need the power and the presence of Almighty God more in the lives of Christians who know him. Because when we see that, nobody denies that. When we love people in a way that that no one else loves them, people go, wow, what's wrong with you? Is this for real? That's the work of Jesus still living and active today. If you're struggling to live as a Christian because you think bad thoughts or you gossip or you say mean things or you lust for money or power or sex, repent and invite, what did it say there at uh, verse 20? His reconciling work. Invite his reconciling work into your life. Because he is the head of the body. He is the one that can transform your life. You need more of him. You don't just have an obedience problem. You have an identity problem. Because if you were truly his son or his daughter and in touch with him and his spirit was living in you, these things would naturally be gone over time. And I've been preaching that to myself. I think some of us, it's like we're in the race. You know, Paul says, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. Some of us are in like the Indy 500, and we've got a killer car. We keep working and making the car better and better. We're like the best engineer in the world, but we don't have a driver, and we have no gasoline. <laughs> You're never going to win the race. Jesus is the head. You need the Holy Spirit as the gas. You need to face those things. You're going to fight the race. You need more of him in your life, not just harder striving and working. It's all Jesus is Lord. See, if we're, it's time to bear fruit, it's time to exalt Jesus. And the third and final point as we close out our time is to be reconciled. He says it there in verse 20. The word to uh, reconcile means to restore a friendship or harmony. We could use some of that today, couldn't we? He's talking about being reconciled to God. But he's also talking about re- being reconciled to one another. You know, when we get to heaven, there's no, like, segregation in heaven, Right? We saw tracking? When we get to heaven, there's no division over socioeconomic status. There's no division over who owns what or who has what. So what we should be doing now is to be living in a way that we are reconciled with God and with other people, restoring friendship and harmony with God. Because at one time we were alienated and enemies to God. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled, restored you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That we have no blemish in the eyes of God. And that phrase is a reference to Old Testament sacrificial uh, uh, worship where this animal you would get without blemish would get what we deserve and would take on our sins so that we could be forgiven and the blood would atone for that. It was never right. God doesn't desire for us to have to shed animal blood. But the point is that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, his ultimate sacrifice atones or covers up for all of our wrongdoing, shame, guilt, everything we have done, are doing, and will do. 
We must believe and receive that the way that we are transformed and reconciled with God is not by working harder. It's by being reconciled, restored, in right relationship with him. And when that happens, we begin to have right relationships with each other. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Once you were alienated from God, but you no longer have to be. He has restored right relationship with you. And some of you feel like you will always have differences with other human beings. But the work of the Spirit can reconcile relationships with other believers and even non-Christians as we see the work of Jesus lived out. But we're going to have to wake up, be fully alive in Christ. It's time to live again in a way that we transform the world around us. He was God incarnate, not some, uh, just a, a, a Messiah, the anointed one. He was God himself who gave his very life for us, perfected without blemish. He had no reason to have accusation brought against him. And yet he gave his very life as a ransom for you and for me. So that anybody who is here today, no matter the guilt and the shame and the things you did last night and the, this weekend and the week before that and the things you said and the things you inhaled and the things you drank and the things you ate and what you did to that person, no matter what you have done, you may have consequences in your life, but you can be forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ. And you can be reconciled to him and brought near to him. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. The time is now to start restoring right relationships with God and with other people. See, as we close out our time, when Jesus gave that atoning sacrifice, it, it had great significance of power and authority. That's why verses 15 to 20, he mentions exalt him. And as you exalt him, you can be restored to him and know him because of his work. You just have to believe and receive that freely. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. But I was thinking about uh, Jan you know, you may not have known Jan. I've known Jan for nine years. Some of you may be going, I'm not a very influential person. I can't really bear a lot of fruit in my life. I, I, I can't really make a big impact. I can't be like Epaphras and go to another city and, and do what he... You realize that Jan didn't have much to her name. She didn't have a lot of influence in society, a lot of financial ability. In fact, at times she even had to lean on a family in our church for support. She lived with one family for 17 months and they took her in. But she was somebody that even though she didn't have the, the ability, it would seem, to make an impact, probably had more spiritual impact for the kingdom, bore more fruit in her life than most of us here. Because she made time for people and she allowed the presence of God to just sit in her life. Everybody saw it. Nobody questioned it. Everybody knew she loved Jesus. She used to go to the bars with Eric's band and she would just sit there and pray in the bar that there would be impact made that night. She would sit in the, auto, the lobby out there and she would find people that nobody knew or had met or had talked to and she'd just sit down with them and talk to them and have a conversation. She'd bring Jesus, exalt Jesus everywhere she went. Everybody knew it. She would write me handwritten letters, you know, praying scripture over me, just telling me how much that she loved and cared for us as Christians. And so I want to encourage you. You may not think you're going to be the Apostle Paul and make this great impact, but Jan Rowan had great impact with her life, and she didn't have anything to her name to enable that to occur. But she had the work of Christ. 
She was fighting back the dominion of darkness in our lifetime, being present with people and with God at all times. And you could too. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that. Will you pray? God, we love you. We declare you Lord of our church, of our lives. And I know many of us, God, we've been going through the motions as Christians. Jan never did that. The Apostle Paul is challenging the church in Colossae not to do that. May we learn, Lord, and allow you to be fully present, to exalt you in our life and bear fruit. If you here in the room would like to fully commit your life to Jesus, to say, I'm going to be a difference maker, I'm going to begin to bear fruit in this world that needs it. I'm going to love the way Jesus loved that. I'm going to be known just like the church in Colossae was known for the love of Christ. If that's you, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. I'm not perfect. Forgive me for doing life without you. I repent of anything in my life that is not of you. I believe and receive your forgiveness because of your work on the cross. I receive eternal salvation because you overcame the grave. And I surrender my entire life to your Lordship. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.